This is episode eight of the Remix Your World podcast with Ralphie Rosario. Welcome to Remix Your World. I'm Allison Kalagna, global DJ and music producer turned life remixer and personal growth coach. In each episode, we bring you real talk, inspiring stories, and heartfelt conversations of personal transformation to help you uplift and amplify your life. This is the Remix Your World podcast. What's up, y'all? It's episode eight of the Remix Your World podcast. I'm Allison Kalagna, and today I'm talking to house music legend Ralphie Rosario. I've been a fan of his work since I was just a little DJ pup, and I'm happy to call him a friend, mentor, and now Uncle Ralphie. For the youngins out there, be ready to take some notes from a true master and house music pioneer. Just a heads up, you will hear me talk a lot about CIJ in this podcast, not only because I teach it and I love it, but because it made a huge difference in my life, which is why I now teach it. So the next rounds of CIJ class start in September, September 4th to be exact, from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Everything is done online, so you literally can have a life-changing experience in your pajamas. Ain't no judgment up in here. So if you are at a place in your life where you are seeking clarity, if you are looking to up-level, if you're looking to remix a certain situation or your life in general, then I highly invite you to take CIJ with me. It's a self-discovery program that is eight weeks long. You'll meet new friends who are up to big things and are wanting to change their life as well. And you get to work with me. Me and you, we see each other every Tuesday for eight weeks. Who doesn't want a piece of that? (laughs) So if you're thinking about it and you want to join CIJ, head over to RemixYourWorld.com slash CIJ and reserve your spot. So jump in if you're thinking about it. And if that little voice in your head is saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I can't do that. I can't do it. I've got, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough, 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 enough. Screw the enough loop. You are worth it. Make a change. Do something bold. Do something different. Step outside of your comfort zone. I promise you, it will be worth it. See you in class. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Just a heads up, if you are new to meditating and you have no idea where to start and are looking for a little guidance, I've got something for you. I produce something called the Mindful Mixtape and I'll send it to you. It's five guided meditations led by me all put to music. If you are interested in downloading this, text the words meditate now to 44222 and I'll send that to you now. Or you can find it at remixyourworld.com. Yo, check this out. Because of his love for music and his need to share it with others, Ralphie Rosario began spinning records for friends at many private events early in his career. Almost a quarter of a century later, he still spins for legions of fans at massive events and festivals around the globe in the U.S., Spain, Brazil, Portugal, Canada, and others. 
His acumen as a DJ for the dance floor is undeniable. Shortly after his start as a DJ, Ralphie created dance slash house music history as a member of the world-renowned Chicago Hot Mix 5. The Hot Mix 5 has received legendary status worldwide. Radio station WBMX was on its way to giving birth to house music pioneers of Chicago. Ralphie delivered his DJ mix magic to the masses over the airwaves for over a decade. Add this to his original production work and remixing talents, and the music industry had a recipe for a legend in the making. To this day, he maintains a DJ residency in his hometown of Chicago. Many believe legendary status was achieved when Ralphie's You Used to Hold Me crossover hit became an overnight house music classic. Not resting on his laurels, Ralphie Rosario has never stopped creating music for the global masses. Besides introducing the classic You Used to Hold Me, Ralphie has worked and remixed countless mega pop stars including Beyonce, The Pussycat Dolls, Kylie Minogue, Lady Gaga, The Pet Shop Boys, Joe Jonas, Madonna, Mariah Carey, Rihanna, Depeche Mode, Jennifer Lopez, Cher, her, Ricky Martin, The Ting Tings, Kelly Rowland, Donna Summer, and Goldfrap. Uh, I think you forgot Yoko Ono, man. I'm going to add it. And Yoko Ono. That's just skimming the surface of his remix credits. In 2012, he received a Grammy nomination for his work as Rosabelle with longtime production partner DJ Abel. Show me what you got. As his Rosabelle moniker, the song was Rihanna's only girl in the world. With major labels, his credits include Atlantic, Epic and Sony, Island Def Jam, Columbia, and countless others. His indie label credits include Grammy winner Peter Rawhoffer's Star 69 and Tommy Boy Records. Most of Ralphie's own production work has proven to also be hugely successful. These came in the forms of the Latin-infused Brinca and the monster crossover Take Me Up with the vocalist sensation and longtime friend Donna Blakely. Take Me Up reached number one European status, remaining in the number one spot in 1998 for two solid weeks. In 2000, Don't You Want My Love with Debbie Jacobs collaborating as Rosabelle and the popular Cha-Cha Heels by Rosabelle featuring Jeannie Tracy. Both were featured on HBO's Sex in the City, Showtime's Queers Folk, and the TV sensation So You Think You Can Dance. Ralphie Rosario and longtime co-producer Craig J. Snyder also contributed musical spots for the HBO series Sex in the City. In all six seasons while the show was on full operation. His music production and credits go well beyond the calling of a DJ and the dance floor. Ralphie's career is chock full of creativity and major accomplishment. There is no question to his many global fans, colleagues, and friends in the music industry that he is in fact a mega producer, Grammy nominee, and full-on electronic and dance music legend. Ladies and gentlemen, Ralphie Rosario! I'll never be like Oprah. I'm not trying. I, that was more like the WWF wrestler guy, I think. Oh, well. Let's go. So welcome to the show, Mr. Ralphie Rosario, who I like Thank to Thank you very much. Much, uh, mucho, Miss Allison. It's been a long time coming. I think we've been trying to do this for a while now, right? I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I get to see you, which is really nice. Thank you. This is really nice too. I get to see you too. So it's good. It's good. Awesome. Um, so I wanted to have you on just because a you're 
one of my most favorite artists, DJ. Thank you very much. In the world. Um, and I want I just kind of like rewind the record because I remember mm-hmm. my first Ralphie experience. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, like goes back to probably you used to hold me, obviously, which is most, a lot of us. Yeah, it's like 87, 88. Yeah, I want to go back further than that. Oh, like, wow. Okay. You know that music was, you know, your gift. Probably when I was, I want to say as early as 1979. Because I was like, what, 13, 14 years old. Um, And that music changed my life because it was like, how interesting was it to have music that was exciting that you can, that was lyrically really there and timeless to this day. And at the same time, have all this rhythmic stuff happening, which was, you know what I mean? It's like, it was intoxicating. Yeah. Yeah. Remember one of the first songs that you were just like, fuck, this is awesome. Um, you know what? I probably have to say Donna Summer's Spring Affair. Mm. And that was even digging a little further, Allison. We're talking probably 1976. That's so. when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> you were a twinkle in your mommy and daddy's eye. <laughs> Oh, good. oh, wow. Oh, my God. I was born in 66. Can you imagine? Wow. I had to go back and figure out what the hell happened in 66. Uh, Batman was on TV, got introduced to the TV. You know, it's just weird things like that to see that happening. It's strange. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so you hear Miss Donna Summer, then you're like, yes. Well, it's like, you know, a lot of us were, in, you know, I bet you you were also moved by Giorgio Moroder, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, that was it. And I realized that that's what, that's what made that music happen. And he was like a really big part of the, being the producer. I'm like, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So that was cool. So when did it start to develop for you then? Um, you know, kind of being nerdy in high school was probably the, the big thing that really was cool because technology, you know, I started to take over probably you know, into a little bit into the nineties, but, um, it was, it was a learning curve back in high school, but that's all I wanted to do. First of all, was play records Mm. all the time. And at the same time, later on graduating to find out what a drum machine was, wore me out. I was addicted. (laughs) What was the first (laughs) drum machine? My first drum machine, believe it or not, was a 909 and I still have it. You still have an actual 909? I still have. I would show you now, but I'm not officially home. So <laughs> um, in the studio that I have it in, it's, it's actually there. It's still wrapped in bubble, bubble plastic. I, I just care to take it out. Oh, I'm coming over just to see the 909. Yeah. <laughs> I had, a, you know, like the MPC. I had the groove box, so like the 303. You know, nice. I wish I wish I wouldn't have sold it just because I had. Oh my god! Now, like everybody, you know, they redid some of these things. They're smaller now. Mm-hmm. You know, I bet you any money they come with apps too. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. So, what was the first? Do you remember the first record you made that, like, start to finish that you were like, okay, wow, okay, I just. You know, it was an EP I did with my friend Matt Warren. And the label's name was Sunset, and Sunset Records uh, was Alex Rojo and his brother Robert. And Matt was basically friends with them. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do a record with you, Matt. Let's do an EP. You do two tracks, I'll do two tracks. Um, It was fun. We collaborated pretty much on all four of the tracks. And one of them was just a little drum machine, Lindrum thing with my voice, just 
talking and saying, así me gusta, así me gusta, baila. And then it's like little, like synth line was there. And I'm like, how simple was this? <laughs> but, but the exciting part was like watching those two inch tape machines rolling as you're recording this music. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, when you look at it now, like I have my two inch of you used to hold these in my, in the closet of the studio. And it's like, you see it. It's like so crazy. We've come a long way. I, I, well, so I remember when I went to audio school, we mm-hmm. were well past that, but they made us cut tape. Like that was their, where they started us. They were like, oh. I started cutting tape when I was in high school. Uh, my friend Mickey Oliver taught me at his at studio he used to go to. I became addicted to splicing tape. I was splicing everything for like six years. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? A cost? I'll splice that. Give me that. <laughs> That is so awesome. Did you have, I remember Tony telling me a story once where he would slice everything, throw them up in the air, let them, right. put them back together. And that was the drum rolls. That were the edits. However it came out. He just, oh my it. God. I remember, yeah, I remember seeing Tony Moran sitting in the editing suite over at Arthur Baker studio in New York. And Tony was like this little kid, him and Albert Carrera were the Latin rascals. Remember that? So they were editing every remix that Shep was doing and all these people. It was so interesting to see them at work. It was ridiculous. You know? Oh, my God. Splicing tape. Can you imagine? So now were you producing before you became a DJ or were you? No, I was a DJ first and foremost. Making records was um, a very interesting thing. It was kind of like an extension of DJing. Of course, all these people in Chicago were doing house tracks, you know, Jack Your Body and all this other stuff. And um, I was learning how to program a drum machine, a sequencer, things like that. I was just interesting to see what these things did and how they work. And before you know it, um, I started coming in the studio, like laying drum tracks and stuff. It was crazy. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So when I met you for the first time, I remember... It was at 7.35 in New Orleans. Uh-huh. So excited. Oh, my God. Ralphie Rosario is coming. So open for him. <gasps> oh, Every time I hear somebody say that, like, kind of stuff, I just I start laughing because I'm like, I never take myself seriously that way. Like, what? You're a legend or a superstar? I'm like, get out of here. But, but, but you, you totally are. And I was so like, oh, shit. So excited, you know? And I remember... Like there was a moment when you came in for like sound check. Yeah. You were, um, nobody was in the club. It was just us, you know, and the couple of the bar managers and you were on the second balcony and they right. were just you sitting there looking. Right. At and I was like, oh my God, I have a moment. I can actually go and talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> I went up and I was so like nervous and, you know, just, hi, I'm Allison or whatever. And I, and I said, I know you're part of the hot mix five. And like, I, you know, cause I felt like I knew, I was like, I know who you are, you know? And you, Oh my God. See, that's scary. Cause a lot of times you don't get people coming up to me. Oh my God, you're one of the hot mix five guys. Right. It just doesn't happen. I and mean, a lot of people don't really know what really happened. That's why I think a lot of people still tell me and, and I want your take on this too, Allison. And a lot of people are saying that I should write a book. Yes, 100%. Yeah, because it's, I think a lot of it has to do with being a teenager and having an escape. And the escape that I had um, was uh, music and records. And, but everybody, uh, the other Puerto Rican teenagers were gangbanging and stuff like that. And I'm like, nah, that's not, no. I want to read a book. You guys go beat each other up. I don't care. 
you absolutely should write a book. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the middle of writing mine, and and I if I if I can write one, girl, you better write a book. Yeah, I think it's I think we all have a really cool story to tell, especially with how we started and what it's turned into and the heyday of it all. The memories, the memories are basically what has to be shared. I think. Yeah, and so tell the people who have no clue what the hell Hot Mix Five is. Like, so Hot Mix Five was basically. A team of DJs back in 1980-81 that started at a radio station called WBMX. And some of us were fortunate enough to be consistent in recording reel-to-reel tapes and sending them to the radio station. And then the radio station would decide if and when we would play them. But the thing about me was I was very consistent about recording every week. Mm. So when I actually went down and before you know it, instead of dropping it off to the record pool, the radio station, we were going direct to the radio station, drop off the tape in the middle of the week. So, and then at the end of the week, it would be played. So I was so consistent with it that I kept it up. And the other guys were the same way. They all had their own respectable personalities in terms of their musicality and their preferences and their style of music. So, you know, here I was being a little bit of soul disco and salsa and, and all that stuff and the Latin upbringing. And I had my own style when it came to playing records on the radio. So wow. here I am. What? <laughs> what three years, three decades later, <laughs> maybe four. I don't know. So how did then you used to hold me come about? Was it a hook? Um, used to hold me was it was I want to say it was collaboration between myself and two other people. Hmm. Those two other people were two friends of mine. One of them was Jeff Davis. You ever heard of Jeff Davis in Chicago? No. He used to be the DJ at the Century Disco, and he was a good friend of mine that was also spinning at the Riviera nightclub when it was a nightclub on Saturdays. So he introduced me to his friend, Cynthia Baker, and uh, we were always dancing and hanging out and going to the club and just, you know, and she said she wanted to be a DJ. Cynthia wanted to be a DJ. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. She goes, well, how can I submit my tape kind of thing? She did. She got aired once or twice, but then she was in the car with me one day and I had a track playing and Jeff was in the front seat and she was in the back seat and she started crooning over the track and it just caught my ear. And I'm like, what? I can't swear on this, can I? Yes, you can. I said, what the fuck? <laughs> and then I said to her, what, what was that? She goes, oh, nothing. It's a great track. What is that? I'm like, something I just did in the basement with my 909 and a Juno 106. Wow. And so uh, we decided to come over to the house where I was, and we started practicing the song. We started co-writing the song. We wrote a full song around it. I arranged it. Then we went into the recording studio. She did it in two takes. What? And I said to her, and she, to me, she sounded like an early version of Donna Summer to me. Mm-hmm. And when I said to her, you're not going to be a DJ. You're going to be a singer. I said, because this is great. This is awesome. Everybody else, but the thing is, I was terrified, Allison. Everybody else is writing tracks with samples and pedals and everything. Remember that? They would hook the little pedal to their 909 and... Yeah, and then here I was, like, lyrics and arrangement, words. I didn't think much of it. I'm like, ah, you know what? At least I tried, I told myself. At least I knew what it felt like to make a record. And then I left it alone, and then it blew up in my face. It blew up in Xavier's face, too, which is Cynthia Baker. His name is Xavier Gold. That's his stage name. That's amazing. So a track, you're like, ah, it's kind of, I made this with two instruments. I kind of like it. Two vocal takes. Eh. Maybe it'll yeah, well, we're just being nerdy. You know how it is, but that's how it usually happens with a lot of the, a lot of the guys back in the day. They were just 
I mean, look at Lil Lewis and French Kiss. Yeah. I'm sure that it's a 909 or something, and then he's got this pattern playing over and over and over again. You know? The simple, and, and it's simple. But still, I mean, you used to hold me as literally st- legendary. I mean, it's one of the biggest house tracks of all time. You know, it, it, it is, but it still doesn't sink in. Even these years later, it's, I'm not tired of it. Right. I'm tired of what comes with it after the fact, like now, you know, like there were so many little labels that were claiming ownership of it and stuff. So I've been fighting for, to keep my rights, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. A lot of these Chicago Haas guys lost all their uh, publishing and royalties because they signed off a lot of their stuff without even knowing. Sure. They got a thousand dollar check when they signed, but then after the fact, they were, these people were making money hand over fist because they were licensing their music. Right, and they didn't get the third party. Exactly. So then, like, all of a sudden, when something like Used to Hold Me got licensed, the guy goes under. This is is the hard part of all this. Right. The guy goes under, and before you know it, other people start picking it up, thinking that it belongs to them when there was no document signed. Wow. So the problem is that there's no policing with the stuff. Yeah. You know, so you have to go, basically, go around and, and send emails, and people are hunting down other people that are claiming ownership. I just got... Allison, I was so smart in copywriting the song with Xavier back in the day. And I'm glad that I did it because it's only protecting both of our interests. My God, that's awesome. I Amazing. Mean, and people sample it. Like literally, I, I, there's a track that I put on my One Magical Weekend promo set that is a blatant, it's, it's stolen, right. the, the part of her in the middle. Like, yeah, some people have been getting away with it. Uh, other people that I've clocked and I made it no known to them that they're it's a copyright infringement situation. I'll tell. Ta- um, done with this. Yeah, exactly what. And it then is. they would back off. But remember that Capella record a long time ago? You got to know. Mm-hmm. Remember that when he sampled it in the nineties? Yeah. I sued that record company for what they did, so I got my part of it all. Yeah. The problem was, but but the thing is that I lost a lot of money, tons, because the company disappeared and they took all the royalties and statements and everything all with it. And I never saw a dime. Wow. So we're talking, we're talking hundreds of thousands that were just lost. So it just happened to me with one title. You can imagine a lot of the other guys, how they're losing money this way because, you know, yeah. It's sad, but there's no policing. Yeah, there isn't. Yeah. So what, after you, after that blew up and then you could continue to write music. So then I started finding, now tell me, you can help me with the timeline because I started playing the stuff that was on After Hours, right? Like the Linda mm-hmm. Cooper. Right. You mean Strictly Hype After Hours label? Yeah, it was the little silver one with the... Right. Yeah, that. After Hours. Right. Um, and so that then became... That's how I really started to kind of get deeper into you, I guess, um, in those pockets. Um, And then tell me that transition from that into then like circuit music. Like how did that even come about for you to... You know, um, I get inspired by a lot of people, um, just like I'm sure you do also. We get inspired by many producers, many DJs and stuff. And I was going to New York probably twice a month, probably for two years, I was going to visit Frankie and then Danny Teneglia was playing somewhere and then Junior was playing somewhere. 
And then, you know, before you know it, Peter Rohhoffer started coming on and he was playing somewhere. And for me, it was like, I, I always like learning and I'm always interested in what's going on in my business, so to speak, and seeing how it's changed or developed or what's happening or, you know, and I get inspired. And then I got inspired to play. I mean, I wanted to play gay rooms. So I wanted to play some gay clubs. A couple of places I applied to in Chicago told me no. Wow. Well, they're, they're <laughs> they like, said no. They said no. Berlin and Chicago was one of them. I went to apply for the job. Now we don't really need a, a straight DJ, but I'm like, I'm not straight. <laughs> you know, but then later on, I, uh, I got a chance. Actually, the surgeons, the resurgence was in Chicago. There was a club called The Shelter. Did you ever go there? I don't think I ever went. No. The Shelter was a big black box, sort of like Sound Factory was. And it had a really good sound system. So when I saw this club, they approached me um, about doing a gay night on Wednesday. I'm like, Wednesday? Really? It's not going to work. <laughs> Allison, we had 1,500 people there. What? And we had, at an average, around 1,100, 1,200 people on a Wednesday night. And I was only supposed to be doing a guest spot. I retired. I stopped playing. I didn't want to play anymore. After I did all the straight stuff, I'm like, no, nah, that's not it. I'm done. But... That club really did it for me, and they decided to keep me as a resident, so I played every Wednesday. Wow, for how long? Um, probably for like five, four or five years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, you know how it was? When you had a residency, it was an interesting thing because people came there to really hear your art, yes. right? You can get away with anything that you wanted to get away with because they totally vibed on what you were doing as a resident. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's like storytelling pretty much, right? Yeah. So when you go, that's why I, we like playing. I mean, when they, Abel and I like playing the longer shifts because if we open the room, we close the room. So we tell the entire story. We're not thrown into the pit of hell at 2.30 in the morning with everybody going like, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm frazzled, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my night, 7.35 residency, I was there probably four or five years. It was probably the best times of my life. You know, like I played from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. Freaking marathon. But Look at that. Boring. Look at that. But it was the best feeling in the world. You, you, stood, you, you took all week to get ready for that shift because you really had something to say, right? Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Like, it was so good. Yeah. That, yeah. I miss the, the, that thing, you know, like and now our long sets now are six hours, you know, those are our full. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I do. I do miss playing for a while from beginning to end. It always is cool. That's why hydrate's still fun in Chicago. I play from beginning to end. Me, yeah, me too. That, that is, I tell people that all the time where, and then they ask, where's your favorite place? It's literally in my like top three because yeah. of there's, there's such a vibe in Chicago, though, period, because of... Yeah, especially with a room that way. It's that size. It's kind of cool because you can really, really be who you want to be behind those decks. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So then how did... When did Miss Smith thing, when did Papa Bear come into the picture? Abel. I, oh. Abel. Papa Bear. Oh, Abel. <laughs> uh, okay. Winter Music Conference, probably in 1992, 93 in Miami. And uh, I was going to Warsaw. Remember the Warsaw in South Beach? Did you ever go there? I, I was going there all the time. And then I walked in on a Saturday and it was, the music was different. It was salsa and there were straight couples dancing. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. But where's everybody at? <laughs> <laughs> so then um, 
Actually, I think it was Bobby Shaw tells me, oh, you need to go check out this guy. His name is Abel. He's working at this place called Paragon around the corner. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I went up there. It was an old theater, and I love old theaters that are converted into, you know, clubs. It's such a spectacle to see the high ceilings and all that. It's just so cool. So I walked up there, and the music was amazing. The sound was amazing. And there was a sea of probably 3,000 people in there. Wow. Yeah. So do you ever go to Paragon by any chance? No, I wasn't there then. Yeah, it was just, it was insane. It was insanity. What was that? It started with Abel at Salvation. That was yeah. yeah. So then like, well, he, his, his claim to fame was the Paragon thing. It was on Saturday night. So, and the funny thing is, and a lot of people don't know this, Abel and I came from the exact same background of recording mixes on the radio for the straight market. Mm. It was, a, it was a mixed thing, but then we were doing straight clubs, too, simultaneously. Yeah. And we never knew each other. So we kind of went through the same things. Then uh, I went to the booth at Paragon, and I introduced myself. I gave him my card, and he looked at me, and he laughed in my face. Well, and he goes, that's not you. I'm like, what do you mean it's not me? He says, yeah, there's another guy in here with another card. He says, it's you. He says, I don't believe you. And I'm like, well, you don't have to believe me. I'm not forcing you to believe me. I'm just telling you who I am. It's up to you whether or not you want to believe me or not. I said, have a good night. <laughs> and then I just went around to the corridor there and he kept looking at me and he kept tapping his foot and he kept tapping his hands, just looking at me, like shaking his head, wondering what was going on. And he goes, you know what? I kind of believe you. I think the other guy was an imposter where I'm like, well, thanks a lot. I am. It's the real deal. It's me. <laughs> You're like, Here's so the then we became friends. We were laughing. So then he calls me, Allison. And he starts, you know, back in the day, we had that answering machine with a cassette in it. Yes. Okay. We would save those cassettes because we had like, you know, like bill collectors calling us some crazy shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then like, I, uh, he called me and he started reaming me out in Spanish. Puta maricona, donde estas metida, siempre estas en la esquina, puta, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh yeah? So I took the fucking thing and put a microphone on the machine. I put it in my sampler. I sampled it. Instead of calling him back, I finished the track four hours later. And I said, here's my reply to what you said. <laughs> and he was like, oh, my God. And so that was our first record we did together. And so how did, Ro I mean, obviously we know the name, but like who came up with it? Where did you guys? Oh, it was all Abel's idea. Abel's idea was, we'll call it, he said, we'll call ourselves Roosevelt. I'm like, oh, how appropriate. And then uh, <laughs> he said, we'll call ourselves Roosevelt. And then he said, uh, he says, oh, we'll call it La Puta. I'm like, that's great. I said, because that's exactly who you are. So that's fine. <laughs> Another record that has been sampled thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Yeah, I was kind of like not a fan of all these record companies wanting to put like at the time, the indie record companies wanted to put acapellas. I'm like, I don't think you should do that. Yeah. And now yeah. look. Yeah. Now look. Now, look. Yeah. now I'm chasing people around the globe for my $10. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. That's amazing. Um, so what do you think has been your biggest aid in, in your success? You know, what has been something that's really helped you push, keep pushing? Um, a couple things. I'd say the people the love that we get back from folks when we go out to play, you know how that is. It's like you really, the, the wide, the wide area of acceptance in that room that night, wherever you might play is such a good feeling to keep with you. That tells you that you're doing something good and you're doing something right. And you're making people feel good considering that there's so much 
crap going on, you know? So I figured that that's my way of making people feel good is through music. Um, just like I'm sure that you feel the same way. Um, so it's that. It's also knowing that I came from something, um, many different things um, that still stay with me. I think Frankie Knuckles still said that one time. He's, he said that he's a product of a lot of different things. Uh, but right now, I think like a lot of us, we're just trying to stay relevant. But um, the, having the history is probably the biggest part of it all. Yeah. Um, sometimes I forget what I've done. Sometimes I forget what I've created. You know, we just keep moving. We got to move forward. So that's, that's one of them. The, that, that whole history is, is, a, is a huge part of what makes me me. Yeah. And has there, was there ever a moment in the, your career where you were like, I got to remix something. This isn't working. I need to change what I'm doing. You know, all the time, but I've, I realized that when you're especially, I don't, I never got intimidated by major artists. That was always me. I mean, I'm just going to, they hired me to do what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I could do it. I could only do it to the best of my ability. Yeah. So, and that's what I always put forth is put forth 110% in what you're going to do and hope for the best pretty much for me. I always think that it's always up to everyone else to decide my fate, not just me. I'm not wrapped up in, I'm not wrapped up in saying that I'm great. I'm not wrapped up in saying that I can do no wrong or my stuff doesn't suck or I can't have a bad DJ night. No, those all, all those things work together. And if you don't have one, you don't have the other. Yes. Amen. You know, yeah, so so like a lot of people say, Oh my God, you sounded amazing last night. And I'm thinking to myself, no, that wasn't it. Yep. I know. I know. I know that I've, I know that feeling. It's so right. weird. In our, it's like, we know when we're on, Right in our body, you know, like you feel it, like it's in your fingertips, like you're thinking three, four, five records ahead, like you know what I'm saying, like you. Know. Oh, you're totally into it, and everything you're playing works. Yeah, and then yeah. The next one, it's just like, uh, what am I doing? What's my name? Where am I going? And and I that usually happens when we're thrown into the fire pit of hell at two thirty in the morning. <laughs> when the opener DJ is leaves you hanging at one hundred and thirty two ppm. Uh yeah, I kind of stopped that doing that. I said I'm not going to be playing around one thirty two bpm for a while. No. Yeah, crazy. That's crazy. no. What could you slow no. it down, dude? <laughs> That's no. a a pet peeve for most. Oh, no, it's too hectic. It's, it's way too hectic. And that's why I always believe in, in telling the story and starting to tell your story when you start the night. I don't like to be thrown into that pit anymore. It's not good. Yeah, I agree. It's a little, it's just it's jarring. Yeah. It's totally jarring. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you feel, you know, like, cause your album, right? You just did that two story side of the two, two sides of the story. Right. Is there a different feeling for you when you're creating the more soulful stuff or when you're going for the bigger room stuff? Like, how does that translate for you? Like, when you sit down, are you like, okay, I'm going to create a soulful vibe or do you just let whatever comes out first? Um, I usually, I, I walk in with the approach of saying, I'm going to do a soulful track. Okay. So like you said. Or I'm going to do something that's going to bump. It's gonna, not going to be as complicated with chords or anything. Um, and... The musicality, I really love, and especially being around programmers and musicians. I like that because they, they kind of instilled me and they gave me my ear, um, which I really, I, I really appreciate that. And that's why I still hang out with them a lot. Um, so 
my approach has always been like, I have the mentality to say, oh, wow, I'm inspired to do a deep house track or I'm inspired to do a down tempo track or I'm inspired to really bump something crazy, you know? So I always come in with the different approaches. Part two of that album is coming out very soon. Mm. And it does have a bunch of new tracks and it's got one or two remixes from the previous album, but it's a bunch of new material on there. Awesome. I can't wait. What's your favorite yeah. song off of that album? Off uh, the first previous album? I with uh, my friend Patty and my friend Simbrit, and it's called Take Me Away. Um, it's a very simple line. It's a very, hook, very simple hook line, and it's one verse. But in the middle of the song, it dives into these amazing chords that my friend Jay Kappel did that were like, I wanted to cry when I heard these chords. I wanted to cry. And then Simbrit knew exactly what to do over the chords. It was almost like she was trained to do that, and she wasn't even practicing anything. Wow. It just came naturally. I mean, can you imagine that? I'm sitting there looking like this. <laughs> because I didn't know how to explain that. That it was just a feeling. It, it just like <gasps> chills. Yeah. That's like magic when that shit just happens. Like, boom. Yeah, exactly. And that's when I'm like, oh, I got I to just stay away from this because this is too good right now. <laughs> so I had to come back and listen to his fresh ears and figure out what was missing and what needs to be done the right way. I was just going to ask you, do you ever sit, let, like, in, in terms of your creative process, do you let things marinate and then go back to them? And if so, like, how long usually do you let it sit? Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, but I've always been one to stay at it, and I'm plugging away at it, and I'm plugging away at it, and sometimes I just don't know when to walk away, because if it feels really good, you know what I mean, you're working on something, and if it feels pretty good, are you going to break your flow? Yes. You know, so I figured in some cases, the only time I walk away is when I'm, my, I'm cross-eyed from looking at a cursor, you know, move all the way this way. Yeah. Or the other part of it is I'm hungry and I haven't eaten. Mm-hmm. My ass hurts from sitting too long. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, I think I can do this again tomorrow. So let me just stop. Yeah. Did you get, so um, you, weren't you telling me about your chiropractor is like, you need to sit on the ball or something like that with sitting? Who said that? I thought that you had said that one when we were talking in Mexico or something. We were both talking about sitting so long. Yeah. Computers. Yeah. You know, I know it started with me. My friend Craig Snyder started with that. I walked into a studio downtown and he's sitting on one of those balls, you know, one of those exercise balls. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes like, oh, well, I'm sitting here. I, it's better for my back. I'm like, not when you get up and eat a donut afterwards. <laughs> Very true. So, but then, like, I got, you know what's funny? I have one, too, but it's sitting in the closet. I haven't taken it out. <laughs> oh, my God. I want one of those stand-up desks, but the problem is yeah. then you're standing, you're not in earshot anymore. So, like... Well, you know, I actually saw, I wanted to do the same thing because my original plan was to have a small treadmill underneath the desk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I haven't done that yet, but I'm thinking about it. Um, but... I raised my desk so it's a halfway point and the chair that I have kind of goes up with it. Nice. So if I decide to stand, I'm still in Ears. vision of like, you know, the monitors, which is great. But I highly recommend that you do get a higher desk. Yeah, because yeah. it drives me crazy to be sitting all day. I got to stand. Yeah, sitting, sitting all day is not good. No. No, I got to get up. I got to move around. I got to dance it out. Then I got to test yeah. it dance it a little bit. Do I like it? Where, where's that? 
Yeah, in my case, I got to get up. I got to shake it. I got to start doing some exercises with my butt because there's no blood flowing back there. And then my and then I start dancing around, and then my dogs start jumping on me like I'm dancing. Like Cosmo has his big white paws on my shoulders and stuff. It's just crazy. <laughs> so, what do you think has been probably the biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome in being? The biggest obstacle, you mean in terms of my career in general? Mm-hmm. The biggest obstacle, you know, um, and it still is to this day. Uh, I think what it is is anything that's politically, you know, attached. Yeah. Um, I get discouraged by uh, politics in any way, shape, or form. Um, because it's, to me, it's only gaining a facade, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I'm really true to myself in terms of music and what I'm working on. Um, and I don't need to put on a show for anyone. And I don't need, I feel like I don't really need to prove myself all that much. Right. I prove myself when I go up there and I start doing my thing. Or when I'm actually working on a remix or whatever. I mean, if you like it, you like it. It's totally cool. But if you don't, that's totally cool too. Right. You know, but I think politics is probably the biggest thing throughout my entire career. I'm not in everybody's face and everybody's like, oh, my God, you should do this. You should do that. You should be here. You should be there. No, I shouldn't. Right. No, I shouldn't. I don't need to be everywhere. I was everywhere. I don't need to do that again. Yeah. You know, so if it happens, it happens. But I'm not one to be pushing, you know, and then the whole thing about managers, you know how that is. Sometimes when you have managers, they're stealing from you and it's crazy. Yeah. So, do you prefer? Um, I know it's hard because it's like the reward from DJing is what comes from the hard work in the studio. But do you find yourself, you know, like called more to be in the studio more than in the booth, or vice versa? Or do you miss? That? I kind of. Ba- I think it balances out. Yeah. It's a little bit of both, and I like it that way. There was one time where I was doing nothing but studio work, um, which was fine, you know. But I really miss playing. Um, and so I think that that you have to have that medicine to go into the studio to do your thing, because if you're not out playing and you're not listening to what's going on around you, sometimes I feel we can date ourselves and I feel like I can date myself and I don't want to do that. Yeah. Do you like to go out? Do you go out much and like listen to other people? Um, It just depends on what's going on on the weekend. I will go out and visit other folks. If it's a, a holiday weekend or something and I'm in town. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah so much there too in chicago oh my god yeah people we've we've got great people here that come through in denver all the time too which is great no i denver is such a cool place i've been there a few times i'm in love with it i have friends that move there and they they are totally so happy right now yeah that's that would be including you allison yeah that's me too i love it out here i get to hike I'm such i can be the little where did you move from i moved from fort lauderdale so i was when i first moved to florida i was in miami then I kept inching up Miami, Hollywood, Fort Lauderdale. Oh, wow. And then finally I was just like, I'm going to. What, uh, what, what draw you to Denver? I was curious. So it, I used to hear, you know, like in meditation, go to Boulder, Colorado over and over again. It would come through in my meditations. And I'm like, what the fuck is Boulder? What, where's Boulder, Colorado? What, right. where? And I had been to Denver a few times DJing. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, all right, the next time I go and go to Colorado, I got to go check this place out. And literally, it's, it's the same. It's like a distance between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. It's not far. Wow. 
So I came to Colorado and I, w- and I spent the extra couple of days in Boulder and I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is like home for me. Really? Um, that was it. And I started to kind of figure out how to get here. And wow. Wow. I, I That's, sometimes that transition is, um, it's, it's, it's uh, an eye opener. <laughs> Yeah, I needed, you know, there was like healing work I needed to do. I needed to get away from the the scene. There was just things that like my soul needed to heal, you know? Yeah. This is where it needed to, to heal. And it's like, right. it told me, it kept saying. No, that's how I feel now. There's, I've been doing music for so long. If it wasn't music, it's DJing. And if it wasn't DJing, it's producing. And if it's not producing, it's installing software updates. And I was... Constantly doing that. My downtime consisted of upgrading stuff and, and reading stuff and researching stuff and trying new things. And I never knew what it was like to go to a nursery and pick out plants and plant stuff. I never did that before. So I'm doing it now and I'm like, it's kind of good medicine. Medicine, yeah. Yeah. Hands yeah. get in the soil, you feel the earth. You know. It was so weird, you know, I just didn't realize it until like, then like I planted for the first time last year and my friend is telling me that all the stuff is blowing up and it looks ridiculously beautiful and everything. And I saw it with my own eyes and I'm like, I guess maybe I did something right. <laughs> so I was looking forward to doing it this year. That is so awesome. Yeah. You weren't DJing or min music. What, what else would you do? If I'm not, you mean if I wasn't DJing anymore or if I just decided I don't want to DJ anymore? If you just decided, you know what, no more music, I'm going to go and open a bed and breakfast. Say whatever it is. Like, what would you do if... Probably train dogs. Yeah, I had a feeling dogs were going to come into the equation. Yeah, I'd say I probably train dogs because I see, um, I've seen some of the dogs that have been abandoned or abused and stuff. And, you know, just like any... Any animal, any human, I mean, we all need love at some, some point. And I've seen growth happen with dogs that were abandoned, you know, and I was, I was glad to see that happen. That I said, you know, I wouldn't be too bad at this. Yeah. I know. I love so, dogs. It's hilarious. Huh? Three now? Five. Five? You're like the cat lady. No, it's not me who's the cat lady. <laughs> it's the other one. <sighs> oh. No, it's like when you're when you're living when you're with someone, you're living with someone, you know, it's like you take on their stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, when when um okay, like supposing you had a neighbor who's, you know, an older couple and they have a dog and they were gonna put the dog down, right? where they were going to take the dog to a shelter. I mean, the dog is losing his home, basically. So we took in two dogs um, that had that same thing, and now they're running around, lost weight. It's great. Wow. And like I did something right. I love that. Yeah. Uncle, Uncle Ralphie's dog farm. <laughs> Coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be chapter three. Yeah, you know, it, maybe maybe I will part time, but you know, I I'm still like loving what's going on with the music, and I still like uh, inventing and creating and being creative. That's still at the top of my list right now. I love I'm I I want to go to that glitter box thing so bad. Where 
your glitter box ministry of sound. Oh, you know, that was such an interesting thing last year when I went. I haven't been to Europe in so long. I really missed it. And the reason why I stay away from Europe a lot too is because of, once again, the politics. You know, the managerial stuff of people that you can't trust kind of thing. And I just stayed away. Just stayed away. But it's nice to be there just to kind of do that flavor all over again. Oh my God, the rooms are amazing, Allison. I, I've never even been in the Ministry of Sound. I'm embarrassed to say. Never even walked in the place. I never went. I never, this is the first time I went and I played last year. So it was kind of crazy. Wow. So when you're playing something that you really want to hear on that sound system, oh my God. Yeah. It's like new life. <laughs> it's awesome. So when do you go? You're going soon, right? Um, I'll be there. I'll be in Ibiza on the 27th, I think, is on Friday at Club High for Glitter Box. And then after that, I will be doing uh, ministry on that same Saturday. That is amazing. I love the whole Glitter Box thing. Like, I'm, I'm a yes to all of that. No, it's, it's way, way cool. Um, I've been friends with Simon Dunmore for a few years, but I've never gone into bed with him, so to speak. Uh, do anything and uh, defected with, when he was defected. I've done some AM PM stuff for him when he was doing AM PM, but to be kind of cool. And I, I never threw myself at him. I never sent him music. I never did any of that, but I will tell you this, Allison, this is a good one. When remember, take me up. Yes. Who, who doesn't winter, winter music conference. He was sitting there and he worked for AM PM. Back in the day, we had a Walkman with a cassette and a pair of headphones. <laughs> I'm ashamed to say. <laughs> and no, I don't have it. <laughs> so I, I said to him, I slipped on the headphones and I said, listen to this and let me know what you think. So he started listening and he's sitting there like that. And then he goes to me, you know, it's a good track, mate, but it's not really a song. It's just a track. And I'm like, yeah, it's supposed to be a track. And he goes, oh, it's cool. It's cool. Never signed it, never did anything. And then when I actually signed the record to Time Records in Italy, it blew up all over the place. Mm -hmm. It blew up everywhere. And I told him that story when he came to Chicago a few weeks ago, and he didn't believe me. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I did. Oh, I remember that as clear as it was yesterday. Oh, my God. Donna Blakely was the vocalist on that one, right? Yeah, she, Donna Blakely was uh, such a good friend of mine. We were having so much fun together, and I really wanted to help her out. She was, uh, she loved singing. She loved writing. Um, we did a couple things together, and then I said, Donna, I'm going to write something for you, and then just come down and record it. She says, I'm over it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> I recorded 30 minutes of vocals of her on different things I was trying and I finally put it together and I created Take Me Up and she heard it and she flipped. Mm. But I was like, okay, this is, this is all you. You know, I mean, this is like our thing together. This is all you. I'm doing this for you because I really want you to get out there. She was so happy. She goes, Ralphie, I put away money for my house. Thank you so much. I don't know how to thank you. Blah, blah, blah. But she was so sweet that any time that we needed something done or if other people want to collaborate with her, she would always ask me if it was a good idea. She was always my advice. I was always protecting her in the right way. So she did well for herself. She did. And she lives there also? She was in Chicago. She passed away of diabetes complications a few years back. Um, she, was in she was in Indiana, actually, but she traveled to Chicago quite a bit uh, when we were working in my studio. Yeah. It's so much talent in Chicago. It's not even funny. Wow. Yeah, she was. It's amazing. She was.
What do you think, what was one of the most challenging remixes you've ever had to do for a big artist and one of your favorites? The challenging. I think every single Yoko Ono remix I did was challenging. You know that. <laughs> no, that's right, honey. Yeah. But the gag was, it was a challenge going, what am I going to do with this? Oh my God, I can't do this. And the gag is, we've already been paid. How am I going to do this? <laughs> there is no, oh, it's, I love me some working for some Yoko Ono, honey. You know what? I was, I was telling a friend of mine, they, they said, Yoko Ono. I'm like, girl. My check is there the same day they're asking me to work on the project. So I'm going to spend not only money on the project, but I'm also there commanding respect that way to say, we understand that you have to put this together and we really appreciate your time. Here's your check. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I wish they all could be like Yoko Ono. Yeah. So, but then like, you know, surprisingly enough, right? So we got, what was that? The goat screams. Yeah. They make great club tracks, though. Oh, I know. And, and that's what she was always saying, that she was always embraced by the, the club community and she loved the club community. So when, But you know this to be true, that every time that we would sit there and bang our heads against the wall with a Yoko remix, all of a sudden it came out like, wow, really? Mm-hmm. That's Yoko Ono? Get out. Yeah. You, your, your own experience is like, you, you realize that it came out better than you thought, right? Yeah. 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 It usually does. I mean, it's just, t- it's, I, what I love about them is they're challenging. They truly are. And you have to figure out really cool ways to make sounds, almost her voice into sense. That's what I've always had to do. It's like, I've had to. Yeah, that's, that's right. And you also have to find, you got to find a hook or a sample or stuff like that, that actually works. And I found a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. So it does work, but that was, I would say that was the, probably a bigger, bigger obstacle in terms of remixes. The, the fun one, oh my God. The fun one that was the best one that I had fun with was probably the Pussycat Dolls. Oh. Um, because the Pussycat Dolls was like, when I got pitched the Pussycat Dolls, they go, well, you know, it's a girl group and they're new. Uh, this is a song. Let me know what you think. And then I heard it. I'm like, the lyric was, don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? Mm-hmm. I think that meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. Whether you're, you're gay and your girlfriend, you, you're trying to talk to another girl outside. Right. <laughs> and you're gay and you're telling a gay man, don't you wish your girlfriend was hot like me? So it applied to many different things. And I thought, how campy is this? Yeah. So then I was like, yeah, I'll take a stab at it. And I, it was an uphill battle at first. I, I wasn't really sticking to it. Craig and I worked on it for a while. And then I sent it in and I was like, let's just once again, like I said earlier, let's just hope for the best. Hmm. And he says, oh, it's great. I said, well, let's see what it does. We didn't expect it to do. I mean, we just wanted to be in the, I guess, in the, in the a gay club record is what they were looking at. They wanted to, you know, to introduce the band to make them, you know, move around or cross over. Yeah. And it blew up in everybody's face that summer. And was that, I can't remember, was that just you? Was that a Ralphie or was that a Rosie? That was me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember yeah. yeah. I've always, oh my God, the Ralphie dubs of, it, I was making, thinking, did you play Purple God last weekend at all at Purple Party? No, but you know, 
I was looking for all my stuff that had to do with it. I couldn't find it. I remember you asked me about that one year. I asked to do, I think like the year before, I was like, I need that because that was that. Yeah. I just loved it. Um, Sanity. And when you were talking, I forgot, but when you were talking about chords earlier, this just pinged me and it made me think of it. Your Rod Stewart dub with yes. organs. Yes. Lord have mercy. That was once again a collaboration between myself and Craig Snyder. Craig Snyder, Craig Snyder used to program a lot for Mark Picciotti, The Absolute. Okay. You're familiar with all that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and Craig Snyder actually got to work with me. And when we got to work together, so you had you had this guy with a jazz background with soul, and then you had a Puerto Rican with soul. So it was like a double whammy. So that's why we kind of worked so well together. And then when we did things like that, the vision was, I pictured New York. I always pictured New York at six o'clock in the morning. I'm like, would I play this second like New York at six o'clock in the morning? Yes, I would. So it had that vibe. That's what it was like. You bring that back to the studio with you. Yeah, yeah. I always, I love hearing you say that because before I write, I like create a scene. I'm like, where am I? What right. it? What right. does the club look like? You know, like right. that. I remember um, Jonas and I, we wanted to create this, you know, like super warehousey track that like Carl Cox would play, right? So like we sat together, mm-hmm. we're like, where are we at? And we're like, all right, we're in a warehouse, we're in a, th-, you know, like in, we play this whole thing. And I do that now as such a way, when I sit in the studio, I'm like, who's playing it? What time of the night is it? What does the room sound like? Right. Is intimate? Is it big? And it makes such a huge difference in the creative process, I find, for me. Totally. No, it does. I've always, probably for years, I've always uh, designed a lot of tracks that would actually work at the Sound Factory space in New York. Hmm. I modeled my, a lot of the stuff that I was doing early on in the 90s because of that, because that was one of my favorite rooms that sounded the best anywhere in the world to me. Hmm. And so when I heard a couple of things that I did on that sound system, I nearly lost my mind because I'm like, this is bigger than I would have imagined that listening to it in this capacity, mm. you know, kind of scary. Yeah. If you could work with anyone alive or dead, who would it be? Uh, even in terms of remixers or artists or something? Yeah. Any musician, if you could make music with anyone alive or dead, like anyone in the world, who would be your first choice? My first choice right now, probably Alison Goldfrapp from Goldfrapp. Oh, she does have a nice voice. Yeah. Didn't you just do a Goldfrapp though? Yeah, I did a Goldfrapp last year. Um, and the thing about Goldfrapp was Allison is very particular and very picky. Mm. And I've been hearing nothing but horror stories about her. She hates remixes. She hates remixers. She hates all that stuff. One time that she was interviewed with DJ Magazine, they gave her a stack of records to review. She hated them all. Wow. So then I'm like, when I talked to the guy at Mute in the UK, I was like, can I, can I try this anymore single? I really want to do this. Well, we have to get the approval from Allison and Will first. I'm like, okay. So they, I, they went and they go, well, we got the parts. We'll send you the stems. And how much time do you think you can do it? And they're like, uh, probably two weeks. Honey, I ran to the hotel when I was traveling. I did the track in one day. What? I did it in one day. It was on a Sunday. I was in Boston in the hotel room. And I was like, I'm going to do this now. Because I was feeling it. And I sat there with headphones. And it was great. It came together. I sent it in. And I was waiting to be like, 
shit on, peed on, whatever. She sent me an email and she says, oh my God. She says, I'm in my office dancing around right now. She says, this is the most sophisticated remix I've ever heard in my life. Wow. So when you have somebody like that telling you that, nothing else matters. (laughs) So, but she's awesome. I love her. I love her direction. I love her demeanor. The next person I would actually would be probably Dave, Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His voice. Oh my God. Yeah, he's amazing. There's the, 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 I'm playing. I love that. It's, it's chill. It's more slow and deep, but like that Dixon remix of Cover Me of Depeche Mode. Yes. Yes. Then that's one of my favorite songs right now uh, off that album. I love that. Cover Me is awesome. Yeah. The Dixon remix is so nice. It is nice. Super good. Yeah. Check it out. So when you look back, on all it's said is done and the legacy of Ralphie Rosario, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, that I made a mark. You did. That I made a mark and that I, I'm actually, I, I got to tell you, Allison, I'm very fortunate and very blessed to have done something that has, done, that has actually stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I'm one of those people that has to, that I'm lucky to know that when I did one of my first songs that they, you can still hear it to this day and people will exactly know exactly what it is to, to be able to have made your mark on this earth in this time to me was important. It wasn't important. I wasn't really gearing myself to that, but the fact that it just happened organically uh, says everything. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you weren't looking for it. You just, I wasn't looking for it. I, and that, I wasn't looking, you know, like people have this, this thing about being DJs now, you know how that is. They go, oh, well, they want the fame and the fortune and they want all that. They want to be famous right away, but that's not why I got into this. I mean, look at me, I'm an old man. <laughs> I didn't get into this for this. I got this because I got into this because it was a passion of something that I love, just like anybody who's painting, you know, or building houses or whatever. You got a passion for what it is. Stay with you. Do you. Yes. David Morales always said to me, do you. And that's exactly what I'm doing. And you do it well. Well, I'm trying anyway. What, what advice do you have for, for younger DJs that are trying to make music or get into it? Um, it's, you shouldn't force it. Oh, amen. You shouldn't force it. Everybody's going to DJ schools. Everybody's going to producing schools thinking that it's going to make it better. If you don't have it from the very beginning, you don't have it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's harsh as it sounds, but you know that it's true, you know? Yeah, you've got you can you can always acquire skills, but if there's not that that essence, you don't have that gut that's inside of you, that driving force to tell you that it should happen naturally. Then you shouldn't be doing it. And my friend Jody Dembroder, I love Jody to death. Jody is to me an entity, and he's the smartest person. He said to me, "Just because you can make music doesn't mean you should." Amen. That's like singing. Just exactly. mean you should. Another reason why I can't sit in front of American Idol. I can't either. I I can no. no, no, I have not. I like the voice, but I can't American Idol. No. <laughs> oh my God. So what's coming up for you? So then you've got the new, the second part of the album coming. When can we expect that? Um, I think it might be dropping probably in June. Uh, we just have to do some metadata work on there and make sure all the writers and everybody were listed and, you know, all the publishing stuff and all the writer's credits were right. To me, it's very important. I like to make sure I protect people I'm working with. I don't want them to go through what I went through 
uh, trying to hunt down any monies or royalties that belong to you. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's happening. And of course the summer's busy with glitter box and everything else. Um, I am just looking forward to learning a bunch of other new pieces of software. Like I started doing Ableton recently. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, and I really like the way it's put together because, um, I really like uh, a lot of the old uh, tracks yeah. and to revive them. Like I revived uh, uh, Eurythmics, Love is a Stranger for T-Dance. Things like that um, are cool to do because those are timeless pieces, especially if we work them the right way. So I needed other tools to help what I'm doing. And that's what I'm doing now. Yeah, Ableton, I, I love it. It's fa- I write fast in Ableton, I find. And then what yeah. I usually then do is then I'll mix... If I'm going to mix my stems, I'll mix them in Logic or if I ship them out to my engineer to mix okay. them. Like, yeah, I love Ableton. I, we can, next time, I'm, I'll, I'll be in Chicago soon. We'll, I'll come and geek you out. Yeah, you know what's funny? Chris, Chris Cox came over to my house, you know, um, I think uh, two years ago. He was doing a gay pride gig on Saturday, so he stayed until Tuesday, stayed at my house. And he was doing Ableton. You know he's a mad scientist. He is. He's, you know, he's, he's constantly you know, typing this thing, going really, really fast and everything. And I'm like, Dude, how am I supposed to learn anything if you're moving so fast? But it is, it is a very interesting program. I just want to learn more about what these things do. You know, like I never picked up, like, uh, do you ever play with Serato or anything else like that, Allison? I, did. I played with Serato and I played with Tractor a little bit. And what'd you think? I, Serato was, was, was cool, but I, I hated having to have my laptop. That was, that's always been my biggest thing. And then, you know, like, I was like, okay, well, because I love what Tractor can do. Tractor's amazing, you know, like, and then, but it's still, I have to then still bring the laptop. And so I'm kind of mad scientist-y with the, the pioneers, you know, like, because you can do all the same stuff. I'm crazy mad about um, record box and have all my hot cues and memories and all of that, because then it still feels old school to me. I right. I, I, That's I, what it is for me. I hated having the computer in front of my face. I hated it. It was No, and that's the same. That's why I didn't do it. I I would probably looking at a computer five days a week, if not more. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to do was bring a computer into a room full of fifteen hundred people when all I want to do is look at them and I want to feel them. I don't want to look at a computer screen. Yeah. I couldn't get into it either. I mean, and some of my like all my straight boys, they love it. You know, they're all tractored out, you know, and they love mm-hmm. it. It's like whatever works for you, you know, but for me... True. Whatever works for you is right. It's like I always say, rock what you got. I I just couldn't get into it. (laughs) Give me my pioneers. Let me be like a little kid playing the bongos on those hot cues. Oh, no, no. No, After a while, I I always end up doing a lot of the prep work before I go to play. So if I'm doing remixes or mashups or whatever, I like to do them before. At least I know what I have to offer. And then I go in there and I just fire all the guns. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I love having you and I'm so glad that you came and talked to us and all the Well, I thank you for having me. I love doing these kind of things and I don't really find too many of them that I want to do. So when you said and you asked me, I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I love you so much. You've been a a true inspiration to me for so long. And I kind of call you my uncle Ralphie. Now you're like a little mentor. If I yes. Yes. And by all means, I will remain that mentor for you. If you ever need an extra ear, or if you need anything, by all means, you know that I'm always here for you. Thank you so much. And I'll Thank see- you, Allison. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. This is a really good way of spending my Tuesday afternoon right now. It's nice.
Awesome. Well, we'll talk soon and I'll see you soon. Yes, my love. Thank you so much. Have yourself a great week. Have fun. Bye. Bye. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed Ralphie and I's conversation as much as I did. Perhaps something stood out and you'd like to share, or maybe you have a question for Uncle Ralphie. If so, head on over to our Facebook group and let us know. I'll go ahead and link all of Ralphie's social information in the show notes. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, come on. So for those of you who follow me musically and you've been wondering what's going on and why I've been so quiet and what I've been working on, well, it's finally time to let everyone know. The Peninsula Chicago opened a new rooftop lounge called Z-Bar, and I've taken on the role as music curator. The sound of Z-Bar is inspired by international travelers, the house music roots of Chicago, and a modern mix of electronic lounge music that is as sophisticated as the cocktails served. Personally, my favorite is the Z. From afternoons and happy hours laced with bossa nova, soul, electro swing, and disco to late night vibes of ethnic electronica, deep and melodic house. Whether you live in Chicago or are passing through, come and enjoy the handcrafted cocktails and indulge in exotic cuisine. Featuring gorgeous views of the city, Z-Bar's sexy, sophisticated, and global vibes are carefully curated to inspire your inner nomad and steep you in luxurious electro-zen bliss. So wherever you are on your journey, make sure you pass through this immaculately crafted way station where inspired libations and unique vibrations will help you feel both right at home and a whole world away. Cheers to new chapters and rooftop magic, and I'll see you in Chicago. <laughs>